0: God's words be spoken, may God's words be heard. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Dang, that never gets old. And perhaps that's why you are here. You already know the story, just as with Christmas. And yet, here you are. Now, maybe you came because your parents, grandparents or spouse made you. But let's be real here, unless you were a child living under your parents' roof, you had a choice. And the choice you each made was to be here in person, for this most important day of our faith. And if you're a child, I hope there's a day when you look back and and thank those who dragged you to church, even if it was only part of the C&E Christmas and Easter crowd. Because this proclamation we just made, it changes everything, and it has for centuries. And what we heard today begins with a woman in a garden at night. Mary Magdalene, the only one in all four Gospels who was the first to see Jesus, to witness the resurrection, goes to the tomb where the body of Jesus had been laid. And the Gospel passage opens with this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. Now there's more to the story. She tells others, they come and take a look. It it says they believed, but they didn't understand scripture. So the only thing they could really believe was that the body had indeed been stolen. They left. But Mary remained, her grief keeping her in darkness, even as the break of dawn began to rise above the garden mist. Maybe that's why she bent in to look into the tomb. The tomb was the last place the one she loved had been. And it was dark. It matched how she felt. He had been brutally killed. And to add to more pain, she now could not grieve beside his body. Instead of the darkness she expected, though, she saw two angels in white who would ask, Woman, why are you weeping? And after she tells them she is looking for her Lord, she turns and sees another who asks her the same question, woman, why are you weeping? And she doesn't know it's Jesus speaking until he calls her by name. He then tells her not to cling to him, but to tell the others, I have seen the Lord. And this is why Mary Magdalene is known through the centuries as the apostle to the apostles, the first to receive the good news and the first to preach it. To others. This is the gospel we heard today. I mean, there's a lot to take in, especially that crazy bit about the beloved disciple and Peter. I mean, what the heck? But there is something we sometimes miss. And it is right at the beginning. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed while it was still dark. In the Gospel of John, light and dark are featured prominently as metaphors for knowledge and understanding. Nicodemus visits Jesus at night, trying to know more about him. Judas leaves the Last Supper and the narrative notes that it was night. The Gospel itself opens with what has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So it's no coincidence that Mary came to the tomb while it was still dark in this Gospel, where the others have her arriving at or after dawn. She did not yet know what was to come. No one did even though Jesus tried to tell them. Her heart ached with grief. Her eyes were filled with tears. The cruelty of the world had cut her to the core. The authors of this gospel wanted us to understand all of that with that simple reference. It was still dark. It was still dark because no one yet knew the good news. Today, we may feel a lot like Mary, it seems the the cruelty of the world has come to our very doorstep with every breaking news story, from natural disasters to the many ways in which we crucify Jesus today, when children are cut down in school by our weapons of war, when people are marginalized or abused because of who they are or how they love, when the ravages of war kill and wound. If the Johannian community who wrote this Gospel were writing for the New York Times today, the articles would probably sound a lot like something Snoopy types out from the top of his doghouse. It was a dark and stormy night. For we cannot seem to understand why all this happens. And our despair can have us wondering if the dawn will ever come. We can even begin to feel comfortable in the tomb. It's become so familiar. And we've all been there at one time or another on a personal level, too, with pain known only to each of us and to those in our close circle when we, too, experience betrayal, denial, or death. That's one of the reasons I love our healing Eucharist that we do on Wednesday night in Holy Week. We gather at night to turn our pain over to God, actually writing down what we are feeling and burning those notes in a fire made from the palms of last year's Palm Sunday. It's a time of naming the darkness that envelops our hearts, of being nourished in the Eucharist, and of being anointed with oil for healing. And this year, at the end of the service, I gave all who attended packets of wildflower seeds. Now, the thing about seeds is they don't really look like much, do they? Right? I mean, little and seemingly lifeless. And we put them into the darkness of the soil and wait and hope in winter and early spring that something's going to happen. But if you look at the garden in those seasons of winter and early spring, it wouldn't seem like anything happened at all with those little things. Sometimes we can think that about our world or our lives. Nothing ever changes. Darkness, despair, hate, and death seem to always be. Mary and the other disciples must have felt that way too, having placed their hope in Jesus and experiencing his arrest and brutal death on the cross. But we know that when it comes to gardens... As the earth warms and the spring rains come from the dark soil sprouts new life. And the same is true for us because of the story we tell today. And it's all right there, right in the first sentence. Now Mary did indeed walk to the tomb at night, yet there's a part we sometimes miss. The stone was already gone. And so was Jesus. The resurrection had already happened. Jesus didn't rise from the grave at dawn. It happened at night. And that, my friends, that's the good news we celebrate, that God's divine light is at work in the world even when we or others cannot readily see it. That is our faith. And it's not an easy leap. It runs counter to our senses. It challenges us to see things in new ways. Yet because of the empty tomb, we have hope at the foot of the cross. We know that light is always present in the darkest of nights, even if we cannot yet see it. And we know that new life is always possible in the face of death. Perhaps that's why the resurrection, that empty tomb, is in a garden. Just the place for new life to grow out of the dark soil of the grave. But here's the thing about the story of the resurrection we hear today. It didn't end in a garden. The empty tomb isn't the end of the story, just the beginning of the next chapter. Mary was sent to tell the good news. And while those boys back in their homes didn't believe her when she said, I have seen the Lord, because, you know, the whole men listening to women bit. Some things never change. It doesn't change what Jesus asked her to do. It doesn't change what Jesus asked us to do either. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to run out of here to shout, I have seen the Lord, though that would be great. It means that we must seek and serve the risen Christ now. I mean, we don't say Christ was alive, right? Do we? Is that what we proclaim? He was risen? No, Christ is alive. And he is calling us by name, as he did Mary, that we might be his apostles in the world. You might be thinking, how exactly do we do that? Well, in a few moments, we will renew our baptismal covenant. And the answer's right there in the vows we make. We commit to seeking and serving Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and striving for justice and peace among all peoples, respecting the dignity of every human being. That is how we proclaim, I have seen the Lord by living as a people of the resurrection, serving the living Christ in all people. And the second vow we make is that we will continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in the prayers. You know, we may be the body of Christ, but he, even he gathered others around him to form a faith community. And they in turn formed their own and so on through the centuries to those who founded this very church in which we now worship. What we do here on Sundays, every Sunday, not just Easter, matters. Being physically present here with one another, being nourished in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that is what we commit to. And it is the garden moment we all need in a world where crosses loom large. So let us today, let us who today sing that Christ is alive, remember that we are sent by that same Jesus to share the good news in word and deed. Let us shout with joy that Christ is risen and return here each week to be nourished by him in the Eucharist that as the sound of our hallelujahs fade into the woodwork and the stone of this place this night, the truth of the risen Christ will remain in our hearts. And by our service to him in the world, all, all may come to know the power of God's great love. And that, that is truly something that never, ever gets old. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Amen.